This week in our Design for Glory um, series, we are, we are looking at the idea that uh, is, is really put forth by the prophet Micah, where he says that, what is it that the Lord requires of you? He says, to do, to do justice or to do justly, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so we're focusing on that part where it's not enough if you're going to fulfill your design, if you're going to experience his glory in your life. It's not enough to just try to be merciful or try to be kind. It's the idea that that you love being merciful. You love being kind. That it, it that love itself, not just being loved, but loving, and especially loving those who don't deserve it, and loving them when they don't deserve it, becomes a joy. Now, Paul takes up that theme in 1 Corinthians 13, where he explains that love is not something that is produced, but it's something you receive, and then it's something that you then distribute or give to the people in your life or the people who come across your path. For example, it doesn't say try to be patient. It actually says love is. In other words, there is a love that exists outside of you to be received by you by faith and to be believed by you and then to be activated in your life, a love that is patient. It's not you trying to produce patience, but it's you receiving love that is patient, patient with you, and therefore patient you produces of patience in you towards others who are undeserving of your patience. It's not a transactional love. It's an unconditional love. And Paul says that this love is not jealous not easily provoked, it rejoices in the truth, and it hopes all things. Now, <clears throat> these are Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, as he's describing the kind of love you're designed for, the kind of love that will, it will only truly give you ultimate joy. But it's important to note Every single one of these things are feelings. So if you're, li- you're a person that ha- has, has an unholy jealousy, if you're a person that is easily offended, pe- the things people say, how they say them, that they don't do what you expect, that they're not doing you know, what you think is right in your, in your own mind, and you have this irritation with people, then you're not loving. This, this, this is one of the, the things that we have to start getting honest about if we're going to truly live according to our design to be experiencing the glory of God is we have to be able to be honest about where we're not loving. Because anywhere that you're not loving, you're not living in your design. And then if, if you avoid the truth and you... You're unwilling to hope because you don't want to be hurt again. You don't want to be disappointed or you don't want to deal with disappointment. 
then you're not loving. That's what Paul is saying. Love is, love is, as many have said, love is more than feelings, but love is not less than feelings. And this is, this is so important that we understand that love is a choice. Love is something you receive. It's outside of yourself. You receive it. It's God's love. It's his, his as we've talked about numerous times in the Old Testament, it's his has said. His love, covenantally bound to you, his kindness is actually translated, has said is often translated, loving kindness. And what you're being called to do is to love kindness. Now, Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians 13.3 about love. It's really powerful. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor... If I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, the Greek here is agape, but the idea is hesed, that steadfast love of the Lord, the loving kindness of the Lord, you loving kindness, you loving mercy. He said, if you do not have that kind of love, then everything that you would do sacrificially, even to the point of giving your own body to be burned, then it profits you nothing. So what's the connection then? And this is an important idea. What is the connection of loving others have to do with our love for God and also his grace towards us? Well, I, I think that you could possibly, you know, give your body to be burned and not have love is because you don't have a genuine connection to this this loving kindness, this, this experience of God's steadfast love, which is better than life. So I think what Paul is saying is that this horizontal love that you show toward other people is really only authentic when it is received love from the vertical love that the Father has for you, and then that you're responding in love to the Father, and then that overflows into love for other people, that in the same way God has loved you, you're grasping that, you've experienced that, and you begin to show that love then to the people in your life. Paul, Paul makes a very like profound statement in Romans 14, 23, where he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so even... In a sense, when you're, you're trying to be loving, but you haven't by faith said, but I'm, I'm being loving because I am loved. Because the Father has overflowed my life with his love through his Son, through the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why it's key to understand that, that God has always existed in, in a love relationship, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Holy Spirit being the, the personalized and personification of that love, and that love now has been shed and lavished upon your heart by his presence. God's joy is love. Your joy is to both receive his love, but your joy also is to give his love 
a way to others who don't deserve it, even as you haven't deserved it. It's funny that people get self-centered sometimes and self-conscious in God's love and say, well, I don't deserve it. That's an irrelevant question. No one deserves it. That is why it's all of grace. He loves you in Christ, and he loves you as Christ. You don't have to keep asking, do I deserve it? Christ deserves it, and Christ has put you in his place so that the love the Father has for Jesus, the Father now has for you. Now, Paul gives an example of people who have taken up this this receiving of the love of God and then are distributing it and giving it to other people. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4 and then verse 8, Paul thinks of the genuine love that we show one another. He thinks of it only as being sourced by God and only being, being really genuine towards each other when it's in relationship to God. Can I just say it again? If, if you're not getting this genuine love from God, then you're trying to get the love that only satisfies, the love that only satisfies, which is the love of God. You're trying to get that love from people who will never be able to fulfill that big hole that you have in your heart. But if you get this right and get the order right, I am loved by God as Jesus even is loved by God. And the love of God now indwells my heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you begin being to live from that place that love is present in you and love is present with you. Then you can actually begin to love people in a way that's just like the way God has loved you. But if you try to get the love you need from people, you'll always be You'll always be in an inferior position. And you'll always, you'll always be in a position where it's not enough, no matter how much they give to you. And, and it really is the secret, is when you settle in and begin to find a joy in the way the Father loves you, in the way that Jesus loves you, in the way the Holy Spirit loves you, when you settle in, then the love other people have for you actually has a place to resonate because they are giving you the love they can give you. And instead of being demanding and angry and upset about what they don't give you, you actually start to appreciate and value what they do give you. You see, as long as all your love has to come from other people, then they have to fit your demands. And then there has to be transactions. You have to give to them. They have to give to you. It gets really messy. But when you have really, you have really centered in to the joy it is to be loved by the Father, as, as, you, as Jesus himself is loved by the Father, now you have something to give and you don't have the same demands of other people, and you can actually receive their love, and their love can be real to you. Now, Paul's trying, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to stir up love 
in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a church of a lot of conflicts. It's probably the most spiritually gifted church in that first century. They had every kind of spiritual gifts manifesting, but they also had all kinds of conflict manifesting. And these people had come from very um, shady backgrounds, and they had they had behavior that was was really non-Christian behavior uh, that was manifesting in the church. And so that's part of why Paul writes that letter of love in 1 Corinthians 13. But now we come to the second letter that he wrote, and he's Paul's trying to get them to connect to the to the genuine love of the Father and then to exhibit that love to one another and to others. Now here's what he writes. He says, Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality or generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and, ab- and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor or participation in the support of the saints. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So there's this amazing work of grace in another section, another area of the church in Macedonia. And he's using this example of the Macedonians' generosity and the grace that they've shown, he's using that to, to inspire or to stimulate the Corinthians to the same kind of love. Now, there had been a, a terrible famine in Jerusalem, and Paul decided to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem. They were having a terrible time. And so uh, he's asking these Corinthians to be generous. But the crucial thing here for us is not about the money that they're going to give. The crucial thing for us is about doing what you do because you love being generous. You love giving. You love and find joy in being loving and being merciful. It's that love mercy kind of idea, love kindness. So, He isn't commanding them to give because then that would not be them loving kindness. That would be them making a transaction. But rather, it's like we said earlier, they must give, but it's not that kind of must. They must give out of a true love, out of a genuine love. But it's not the kind of must where they're they're getting leverage with God or they're getting favor with God or they're being accepted by God. They are giving because they are accepted. They are giving because God's love is their source. And so Paul is using the Macedonians' generosity, and he's talking about the love these Macedonians have, and and he wants to stir that same love up in the Corinthians because he wants their actions to reflect that 1 Corinthians 13 love in real life. Paul says the Macedonians have given away their possessions. And you see, this is in direct contrast to giving it away without love. They have given away all they have as a genuine act of love. Now, Paul lays out that their reasons 
why these Macedonians are rejoicing and finding joy in their love and in their generosity. And the first, the first of the reasons is this. They, are, they have experienced God's gift of grace. They have it in their heart. <laughs> they are experiencing a love that wasn't achieved by them, but it was a love received. So therefore, since they've received it, they have no trouble giving it away. They didn't earn it. They know it's a gift. They live in grace. You and I need to hear that. Because we are very tempted, very tempted because we all work so hard. We have so much stress. We have so many demands. It's very tempting to think, um, I don't need to be generous. I don't need to give myself away. I don't have anything left to give. And, and it's so important because the Macedonians are saying everything we have has been a gift. We're living in grace. Um, they, secondly, they were experiencing genuine love from God. And the love they were, they were experiencing with God filled them with joy. They were, they were rejoicing or experiencing joy in his love. And, and this, this passage says they weren't experiencing joy because they had prosperity. They were in poverty. As a matter of fact, it says in their extreme poverty, they had joy. So their joy wasn't in their circumstances. Their joy was in God, and they were experiencing his grace. And this is so helpful to us, to experience his grace even in their stress or distress. And so then, you see, because God was creating joy in them, their abundance of joy then overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They weren't giving to get. They had received. Now they wanted to give. So their, their expression of love towards those Jerusalem Christians was an overflow of joy in God's grace. And then Paul says, beyond their ability, they gave. And they begged him, they wanted the favor of participation in the support of the Jerusalem church. They found their joy in God, and the best way to express that joy was to give. They wanted to give. It was their joy. Now, I think this is a definition that helps us to understand how to love kindness. Their love and our love needs to be an overflow of joy in God that, that allows us then to gladly meet the needs of others. So agape love or hesed love is a love that is an overflow of joy in God. I am covenantally bound to God. God is my father. God is my source. God's promises are my hope, my steadfast hope. Therefore, when I see needs of others, I don't think about, well, what's going to happen to me down the road? Because I know, I know who my provision is. I know where my source is. And those that, so therefore, I can gladly take what he's given me and give it to others. And, that, and we're not just talking about money. Money's easy to look at. We're talking about time. We're talking about emotional connection. We're talking about giving ourselves powerfully, generously to others. I, I can't, for some reason, I can't 
pass this passage up without thinking about my son when he was a little boy. And some of you have heard the story, but but when my when we were in Costa Rica, we were learning Spanish. We were getting ready to go and plant churches in Mexico City, but they sent us to Costa Rica first. And in downtown San Jose, there were there were numerous people that were on the street begging. And every uh, Saturday, I would take him. Uh, he was out of school on Saturday, so Lisa and I would take him. And Anna was a baby then, and we would take Joseph, and we we would give him. I had change, and the change kind of amounted to almost nothing, really. Something he could buy candy with or a drink with or something, but it wasn't very, very much money. But I'd take all the coins I had and I'd give it to him and say, you can, you know, you can buy any, anything that this will get you. And usually he would do that. He would, you know, we'd find a little store and he'd find, you know, some kind of candy or something or something he wanted and he would buy it. But this particular Saturday, he saw a lady with a little child and he had, a, he had his bag of coins and he ran up to the lady and he gave every cent he had to the lady. Every single cent. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, Joseph, you gave away all of your allowance. You gave away everything that you had. And he looked at me and he said, well, daddy, you have more. And I, I've never f- forgotten that. That, you see, he, he overflowed in hope and faith and joy in his parents as his supply. So he gave away all that he had, not because he thought he would be bankrupt, but he gave away all that he had because he knew his father had more. And this is basically, you see, this is what, this is what love becoming a joy is, is that I, I, I have an overflow of joy in God and I have an overflow of joy in the love of God that I'm experiencing that then makes it to where I open up my heart, and if I see a need, I gladly meet that need because I know my Father has more. And it, 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 is, a, it is such a beautiful picture because it's a, it shows not only that I'm experiencing God's love, but I'm also trusting in God's love. Now, I can't you know, talk about this without talking about the fact that Scripture also makes it clear that that love is costly that that to love this way is to recognize that genuine love also weeps also weeps uh, in the book of Hosea and the prophet Hosea God's redeeming sacrificial love for sinful people is described as a deep longing and a compassion if you if you read this and you see it, you can see it's God's heart breaking. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? That's one of the names he had for his people, Ephraim. How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger, for I am a I am God and I am not a man. When he was talking to the exiled people, even on the day of their exile, when they were when they were being taken from the Holy Land and they were being taken to to Babylon, 
And they were being taken because for 70 years they had not listened. I mean, not 70 years. For so many years they had not listened to his prophets. And, and they were going to be exiled and disciplined for 70 years. And God speaks as they are being taken into exile. And though they have been sinful and they have been disregarding God and God's heart, in Jeremiah he says, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. See, God's loving kindness never gives up on us. Never, never does he turn away from doing good, even when we have not done good. And it's so interesting because Jesus himself reflects the joy that God experiences, the joy in himself that he experiences, and why joy is such a central element or a characteristic of God. Listen when he listen when he says they're asking him, "Why why are you eating with tax collectors? Why are you having relationship with sinners?" In Luke 15 and Jesus answer is there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous pers- persons who need no repentance. What brings joy to God? The reclaiming of one sinner. That's what gives God joy. All of heaven celebrates the repentance of one sinner. I've used this as the central theme. And even I think it's the central theme that when you're going through hard times, when you're going through sacrifices, when, when things are not going the way you hope that they'll go, Jesus' words, Jesus' willingness... For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. So, God's redeeming love has caused God pain. But God endures the pain of redeeming love for the joy that comes when one sinner repents. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So the the effect of the cross is now he has brothers and sisters. You and me are now brothers and sisters of Jesus. He was willing to have his genuine love weep so that he could have eternal joy in us. And what he's really teaching us is that the cost of of love is worth it for the joy that love brings. What a powerful thing as we think about the cross of Jesus Christ this week, that even the most devastating, even the most difficult experience that any human could ever have had, Jesus not only endured the physical torment of the cross, death by suffocation, death by, you know, the blood leaving and weakening you to where you couldn't get a breath. The physical torment was horrible. It was a deterrent that the Romans used for anybody who wanted to be a criminal. But it wasn't the physical torment that caused him the difficulties in Gethsemane. It was that he who knew no sin was going to become sin and become the curse himself that he would become 
our adultery. He would become our murder. He would become our hatred. He would become all the things that have separated us from God. He would become all of those things so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So he endured that, forsaken by the Father, rejected by the Father, cursed by the Father, so that now you and I are not rejected. We are not forsaken. And the curse itself is broken. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. And in doing so, he said, he's saying to us this, that even if love causes you to weep, it is worth the cost for the joy that is set before you. 